Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Before we start, there is uh, one thing I would like Elder Sam to do, if he would come up. We're going to agree together in prayer regarding the, the settling of the uh, budget for the uh, United States. It was brought to our attention um, by uh, some members of the congregation. This was important to them, and if it's important to you, it's very important to us. It's important to us anyways because it's dealing with our United States. We wanted to take an opportunity just to agree together. I've asked Elder Sam to come forward and uh, pray. Um, before I pray, I just want to make sure. Have they made a decision on the budget? Is he still? They're still okay. That's good. And another thing, too, I, I remember last time I prayed about this, I said that our answer to this country is not in politics or you know, what group, it is Jesus Christ. Having said that, and we're supposed to pray, having said that, we can't stay on the mountain all day. We got to come down. We got to stand. We got to be willing to be witnesses of the truth that we believe. Because somebody in politics or government, they need Jesus. Somebody to share with them. Somebody to share the truth of what the Bible says, how we should run our finances. And we got people there. So we want to pray for all of these people and pray that God would have his hand in it because Satan is definitely trying to turn his nation down. Why? Because we propagate the gospel. He wants to stop us. That's where our battle is. So I'm going to pray y'all come in agreement with me, okay? Father, we just thank you for your goodness and mercy. Father, you say, if any two of us as grace touching anything shall be done for us, our Father, of our Father which is in heaven. And Father, you say, first of all, pray for those who rule over us. So Father, we pray, first of all, for our leaders. For our presidents, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that your will will be done in his life, in his life personally, in his life overall, and the decisions that he makes. Father, I pray for the Congress, both the House and the Senate, especially concerning this budget deal and the situation there. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that thy will will be done, that righteousness reign, rule in this nation. Father, I thank you. No matter what we see, Jesus is Lord of the United States. And we submit to that lordship, Father. Help us as the church to fall on our face, to call upon your name, to uh, uh, repent of our sins, and to seek your face, Father, for the healing of our land. And as we pray, Father, we believe by faith. As we reach out to you, we know this is your perfect will. And we believe with expectation that you're going to change things, that you're going to make things the way you would have it, Father. Even though we may not understand it, our trust is in you. And so, Father, this morning as we give up before you, our senators and, and governors and, and our leaders of our nation, Father, we just pray righteousness will rule and reign. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Elder Sam. If we don't stand up for what we believe in, who will? Who will? So this is why we feel it's very important here at Cornerstone. How many uh, kids do I have here that are, I won't say kids, how many uh, people do we have here that are 18 years old or younger? Raise your hand. 18 years and younger. 18, raise your hands high so I can see you. 18 years or younger. Okay. Do you have a pen? Who doesn't have a pen that's 18 years or younger? Okay. Grab a pen. Virgil, would you go around? I'm going to pick on you today. And give pens. And a piece of paper. I've got a challenge for those that are 18 years old or younger. You're going to count how many times I say um during the message. <clears throat> okay? At the end of the service, I want your name on your piece of paper. All right? 
Name on your piece of paper. Get ready. Make sure everybody's ready. Parents, help your, help your kids. I want you, if I could get a, an usher to uh, leave a, ba- a basket in the back. At the end of the service, when we have prayer time, and you leave, you drop your paper with your name, and how many times I said, um, during the service, and you will have $10 the following week. Yes. I, I will tell you when to start. I will tell you when to start. <laughs> that was good. That was good. All right, is everybody, does everybody ready and have their stuff together? It doesn't count. and you don't, It doesn't have to be exact. If we don't get the exact number, then it's whoever's closest. But this is being recorded, correct? Yes, it is. Okay. We're going to start now. Um, 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 Okay. That is your first set. All right? Now we'll see if you can keep up. Thank you, Angie. How many people here own cars? There is, praise the Lord. I heard a praise the Lord over there. Something about owning a car, I'm gonna, uh, of course I'm going to tell a story because I just love telling stories. Something about owning a car, everybody who owns a car, there's, there's a cardinal rule. There's a cardinal rule in my car, all right? When I'm driving my car down the road, there's a special seat off to my right. It's our, re- it's our reserve, it's our special seat. Of course, normally my wife is there. My wife knows the rule, Okay. But when my wife is not available in that spot, my children have privilege to be in that seat next to me. And anybody who owns a car knows that if you are driving the car, if you own the car, control of that car and everything in that car is yours. Sovereignly. Yours. As the owner of that car. My children know this mostly. Okay? And I'm not going to throw them under the bus today. I'm not going to do that. Uh, (laughs) So here's the situation. We're driving down the road, minding our own business. I have one of my children in the front seat with me. The other two are in the back. And I'm just occupied. I don't know what we were doing. We were talking or carrying on, you know, a lot of banter going on in the car. That's what happens in my car. And all of a sudden, the, I don't know if it was up or down, but whatever, the radio changed. For whatever reason, the radio changed. My hands never left the steering wheel. So as the owner of the vehicle, you know, you understand that quickly something goes on in your mind. Wait, wait a minute. Someone else is controlling this car. And it is not myself. So I began to investigate. And it didn't take me very long to find out who it was sitting in the front seat. Now, I I have to preface this um, because I don't want you to think that my children are disobedient or or anything like that. I don't want to throw, like I said, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. Um, If you didn't know, uh, my family line is strewn with sarcasm. How many of you know my mother? Yes, I'm going to throw her under the bus this morning. Okay? Her father, sarcastic, 
You know those little uh, science things where you put, you know, if you have blue eyes and your mom has blue eyes and your dad had brown eyes and your kids will probably have, there's sarcasm written in that science chart on my side of the family. My dad is sarcastic. Um, I married someone who, and I'm not throwing my wife under the bus, but she's got sarcasm through her family. My kids didn't have a chance. They didn't have a chance. So they, they understand sarcasm and they play it well. So during this whole long story that I'm going to tell you, sarcasm was involved. Okay, now that I've said that, um, I look to my right, and Madeline is sitting there. And I said, Madeline, well, the radio, why did, it, why did it change? Well, I wanted to, well, no, I didn't want, I, and I reached over and I turned the radio down. And then she said, well, I want the radio up. And she turned the radio up. And I said, Madeline, what are you doing? I want the radio down. And she said, but, Dad, what's going on? And I can't hear. You're talking with, and I want the radio up. And it's going up and down and up and down and up and down. And finally, I said this, Madeline, because that's her name. I said, Madeline, when I am in this car, I have complete control. Now, we interrupt this story for a special news bulletin, okay? And my kids should take note of this, and my godchildren should take note, so Bundorfs take note of this as well. It doesn't matter whose car I'm in, I'm always in control, okay? That's it. My kids are getting ready to learn how to drive here soon. I just want to lay that down. If I'm in any car with them, I'm in control. Okay. Back to our original story. I said, Madeline, when I am driving this car, I am in control of everything. And everybody knows who has heard me before. I looked into Madeline's eyes, and uh, there was a glimmer, which meant, and of course, we were playing back and forth. This wasn't an angry thing. She found an opportunity for sarcasm, and, and you know how my kids answer me. They said, Father, I know you're in control, but so am I. <laughs> and that was, it was at that very moment that God spoke to me. God can speak to you at any time, right? It was at that moment that God spoke to me, and this is what God said. He said, how many times, Chad, <clears throat> have you said that very same thing to me? <clears throat> that, that hurt. I know you are God, but so am I. Doesn't our Heavenly Father want every aspect of us? Don't you think that that's why we gave our life at the altar whenever we did or at home or wherever we gave our life to Christ? Didn't we do that so he would have complete control over every aspect of our life? And how quickly, how quickly we forget. But then you have to ask, well, what exactly did I give him if I didn't give him complete control? What did I give him? My trash? Really? Is Jesus just a dumping ground for all the garbage in your life so that you can feel better and you can have remain control of every other aspect of your life and we just dump on him? Is that what Jesus did on the cross for us? If that's your perception 
of Jesus and the cross that is just a, a, a band-aid, a make-me-feel-good, a place where I can dump my garbage and walk away and still go on and lead the same life I've led before with uh, myself in control, then you really misunderstood the beauty and the power and the love Christ Jesus had for you when he died on the cross. It was a lot more. Don't you think that he can control your life better than you can? That's the whole reason we did this. I know you are God, but so am I. You know, and sometimes I think that we are unaware that we are saying those things. Because some sometimes it's, you know, I'm living, I'm living my life for God. I'm doing the best that I can. Um, we're, we're trying to stay on track. But then there are still areas in our lives that we just hold on to. And sometimes they're hidden from us. And we need to start allowing God to peel away all those layers, everything that's going on, and reveal those places where we might have control. Because as soon as we relinquish control and give it all to God, we can, we've been talking about faith. We can walk out our faith uh, easier. Elder John yesterday, uh, last Sunday, talked about... Um, he talked about evangelism. We can evangelize. We can evangelize more effectively if Jesus is in control of our, of our entire life. There's only two points I want to make today, and actually there's really only one point I want to make. The second is more of a, a challenge, let's say, and that'll come at the end. Jesus wants it all. He wants every aspect. And that's the first point. If you don't get anything else from today's message, know that Jesus wants it all. And this, this is a very uh, hard thing to say because this is not something that I'm bringing to the congregation because I've got it licked and I've, you know, I don't have any problem with this. I mean, this is a very real thing that we go through in, every, in our day-to-day life. And there's things that I hold on to and that I don't allow God to have control of and that I've got to give up. And there's things that I put blinders on and I don't see. So I'm not just, come, I'm not just saying this because I've overcome it. It's because I'm going through it. I'm going through it. And I know all of us are going through it today. So Jesus wants it all. We need to recognize... The second thing we're going to talk about, my challenge, is that we need to start recognizing areas where we have full control. We haven't given it to God. So those are my two points. Jesus wants it all, and we need to recognize areas where we have to give God full control. All right, so my first point. Jesus wants it all. How do I know that? So let's go to uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5. How do we know that, um, that God... How do we show God that we love him? Thank you. If you've been in this church for very long, you know that um, we study this, we adhere to this. You show Jesus that you love him by obeying his words. Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
One more time. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Let's break that down a little bit. When we talk about your heart, now the first, note, the first word I saw was shall. That's an unforgiving word right there. Okay? This is, a, this is a God talking to the Israelites, giving them the commandments. Uh, this is the first and foremost one. And this is one that Jesus referred to when the Pharisees asked him about, well, which is the greatest commandment? And he said, really, there's, there's two. There's this one, and there's love your neighbor as yourself. In those two commandments, if we abide by those two, we've got all the rest covered. So this is not an option, I guess is what I'm saying. And I'm going to make a point here in just a few minutes about when we love something and when we love things. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, which is your conscience, your courage, your mind, your understanding. All those parts are part of your heart. And with all your soul, this is your life, yourself, your person. Just in those two things, it sounds like we've encompassed everything about our human being. All our mind, all our soul. And with all your might, which would be strength, or this word I like, exceedingly. Above and beyond what you would normally do. Love the Lord your God with everything and do it above and beyond how you would normally do things, exceedingly. We're going to exceed in this. When you truly love someone or something, don't you surrender other things or, and you subject them to the one that's loved or that thing that's loved? Isn't that part of, like an example would be, uh, I love my wife. Uh, if you're not married, it could it really it could be anything. Uh, you could say uh, you could say, it doesn't even have to be a person. You could say I love my job. <laughs> How many can say that? Really, there are people that love their jobs. If you love your job, <laughs> uh, um, uh, let's just go with um. <laughs> Let's just go with um. Anyway, sorry, I had to make that clarification. Um, that's it right there. There's the word you're looking for. Now, even if you love your job, let's say, won't you put your job in front of other things that are going on in your life if you love it that much? If you are going to go out with your friend, you know, your friend, hey, let's go, i got to do this. No, no, I, I really... I'm excited about this project I'm working on at work, and, and I really want to get it done, so I'll put you on hold for now, and I'm going to go do this over here, and then, and you may not have to, and I'm saying that because sometimes with your job, you know, you have to do things, but sometimes you just excel. You do things exceedingly in your job, and that's a good thing. But see, you can see uh, it could be your toys, um, and I have a problem with that, and I'll share that with you too. A little bit. But anything, if you love something, something else is going to suffer. And you're going to raise that thing or that person up higher than other things. Well, God says you shall 
love me with everything higher than everything else. No choice. When you walked up and you gave your life to Christ and you said, I'm going to do this thing now, you've entered into a covenant. You've made a promise with Jesus, with God. And you've said, what you say, God, I will do. And the first thing he says is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, uh, with all your might. Now, I guess I'd go to uh, what my issues are, because everybody wants to know. <laughs> I'm going to take, ex- take two extremes as an example. Okay? I love my wife. I do. I love her very much. It is a good thing, because she will listen to this in a few days. <clears throat> I also love... See, love, love in these situations, that, that's a kind of a, in the English language, we use love for everything. So it kind of gets bland. But I love my wife, but I also love electronics. I like uh, movies. I like television. I like computers. I like eye stuff. Anything with an eye in front of it, I like. <laughs> and I desire those things to have those things, but at the same time, uh, if any of that stuff were to come in between above the love for my wife, I would be a very unhappy man, but I would be putting that stuff ahead of, and I would be subjecting my wife underneath that stuff. Kind of see how that that works. I could say I could still say I love you. I love you, honey. But when it comes down between a choice between both of them, and I put one over the other, whatever goes underneath, I have relinquished control of, and have put control in that other that other stuff. And I'll get more into that in just a little bit. I do want to go into the life of Saul a little bit because I want to give you a practical example or an example of someone who relinquished control of their life or actually who took control of their life on their own and didn't allow God to do what he wanted to do. You can be chosen for greatness and you can still sabotage those plans. Know that. You can be chosen for greatness and you can sabotage those plans on your own by controlling everything yourself. Let's go to uh, 1 Samuel 10. I'm going to start in 17. I've got to roll right along here. Now in Jeremiah 29.11, don't go there. Go to 1 Samuel. But I'm going to go to Jeremiah 29.11. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. God has those plans for you. All right? In this, 
In this situation right here, he was talking to the Israelites. But we can still take that promise for our own. Okay? God has plans for you, and it's not for calamity. It's to give you hope. And it's for your welfare, and it's for your future. Okay? You can sabotage those plans by not allowing God to have full control of your life. Let's look at Saul. Or, uh, in 1 Samuel 10, 17 through 27. It says this. Thereafter Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you have today rejected your God, who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses, yet you have said, No, but set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. So before this, uh, who was in charge of Israel? God was in direct control of Israel. Israel looked at all the peoples around them and said, well, they all have kings. We want a king as well. And they disobeyed God. So now that what we're seeing here is we're seeing uh, Samuel tried to talk Israel out of this thing multiple times. Uh, they refused. God said, don't worry about it, Samuel. I've picked a man for this job, for what they want. And they're going to pick Saul. So in, in this uh, part of scripture right here, Saul is going to be, uh, become chosen. Now, Saul was already anointed as king previously. He was already anointed, but no one said anything. So we're going to do this uh, publicly. Samuel is going to do this publicly so that everybody knows who the king is going to be. And, they, and, and at that time, they did it by casting lots. It might have been rolling dice, throwing shoes. I don't know. They just cast lots and... It went through. So we, we see here, um, thus Samuel brought, uh, I'm in uh, 20. Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families, and the Matrite family was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Why couldn't he be found? Well, therefore, they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, Behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. There's your king, hiding in the baggage. Why do you hide? Unless you're playing hide-and-go-seek and you're trying to win a game. Besides that, why do you hide? Because you're afraid. Saul was fearful. He was hiding. He didn't want to be called out. So they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from the shoulders upwards. So right in the beginning, we see that Saul may have an issue with fear in his life. He didn't come forward boldly at this point in time. He was hiding in the baggage. Let's move on to... Well, you can read this next part on your own. First Samuel 11, 1 through 15, Saul's... Uh, kingship is established. After he was picked and chosen, there were people there that badmouthed him. They weren't behind him. So, so fear is going to do that. You know, they're going to look and say, well, why'd they pick him? He doesn't look like he can save Israel. He doesn't look like he can lead our people. So there was people badmouthing Saul at this point in time. But God picks the right person for the job, right? 
So God chose Saul for a reason, that he could, he could do this thing. So then in uh, 1 Samuel 11, 1 through 15, we see that uh, there is a, uh, the city of Jabesh is attacked by the Ammonites, and, the, and Jabesh was part of the, one of the Israelite clans. And the Ammonites were coming, and they were going to attack, and, and they were going to pull uh, uh, they, the, the city of Jabesh, they didn't have enough soldiers to overcome the Ammonites. So uh, the Ammonites said, we'll make a deal with you. We'll pull out the right eye of everybody here, <laughs> and you can work for us as you know, slaves, and you'll be a stench to Israel. And the, the uh, guys at the city of Jabesh said, wait a minute. Give us seven days. We'll see if we can find someone that's going to help us out, and then we'll get right back to you. So, eventually, Saul's out with some oxen, plowing his field, doing whatever a a new king does, I guess, in those days. And he hears this, and he's, uh, the Spirit of God has come over Saul in such a way. I mean, Saul is an amazing uh, man, or was to be an amazing man for God. And the Spirit of God came on Saul, and, and he took the oxen that he had, and he cut them up into pieces, and he sent them out to all uh, the, the tribes of Israel and said, uh, anyone who will follow, uh, rally around me, and we're going to go and we're going to take care of, of these people. And they did. They, they went. And this action that Saul took was a very heroic action. And I'm paraphrasing the story, so I'm, I'm sorry, but for the sake of time. And the Israelites at that point rallied around him to the point where they said, bring us those guys that were bad-mouthing Saul because we're going to kill them. Because Saul is the man. And Saul said, no, there's been enough war today. No, this, we should celebrate the victory God has given us. All right. Everything looks good so far, right? Everything looks real good. 1 Samuel 13, 1 through 14. Saul's going to go to war. Saul was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 42 years over Israel. Now Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, of which 2,000 were with Saul and uh, Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, while 1,000 were with Jonathan at uh, Gibeah of Benjamin. But he sent away the rest of the people, each to his tent. Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, and then Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. All Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines and also that Israel had become odious to the Philistines. The people were then summoned to Saul at Gilgal. Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people, uh, and people like the sand, which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped in Michmash and east of beth And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, Then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and cellars and in pits. Also, some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgad, and all the people followed him, trembling. Now he waited seven days, according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. Samuel was supposed to come and offer a sacrifice at this point in time. The Philistines are coming up against Saul uh, in, in enormous numbers. Enormous numbers. What has stricken the people right now? They're fearful. So you see them all starting to scatter. 
All right? Yes, all the great things for them before, but in this instance, they started to scatter. Now, Saul's looking around, and he's seeing all this stuff going on. He waited the seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. Now, this was a test for Saul. And as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, of course, that's when it happens all the time, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the appointed days. Well, apparently Samuel came within the appointed days. And that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Does God have plans for you to prosper? He does. He even had a plan for Saul to prosper. Now this is kind of, remember the story with with Cain and Abel? And there was something that God said to Cain before he killed Abel. He said, why is your countenance down? All you have to do is what is right in my eyes. And won't your countenance be lifted up again? And then he said these key words, sin is crouching at the door of your heart. You must master it so it doesn't overcome you. All right? What I see in this story of Saul, fear was at the door of Saul's heart. And all he needed to do was master it and to allow God to remain in control of the situation and his kingdom would have been established forever. But he saw everybody scattering. We do see... In the beginning, when Saul was hiding in the baggage, that he had an issue with fear. That's just what I'm, how I'm looking at it. We see now that he sees everybody scattering. Fearful, he offers an offering to the Lord. Realizes that he is wrong and asks for forgiveness. Go, Saul. And then we move on to 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 23. I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to give you a little backdrop. Saul's going after this king. The Lord gives him a command. He says, I want you to go in, and, and I'm going to, really what God was doing was using Saul to enact God's judgment on the people that he was going against. And God said to Saul, go in and destroy everything. Every man, every woman, every child, every animal, go in and destroy it all. Let nothing live. So what did Saul do? He went in and he captured the king alive. 
destroyed everything that was bad. Yes. That limped or didn't look good or was the wrong color or was broken or anything that, he, that didn't look good, he got rid of. He kept the best of everything else and brought it back with him. Is that what God said? No. Who was in control at that moment? Saul. Uh, let's start in verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. Now, see, that little phrase right there tells me that at one point Saul was following God, wasn't he? God has plans for us, right? Yes. Yeah. Samuel rose um, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. Very proud of himself. Very deceived as well. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, Well, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people uh, spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Dude, that bothers me too. The Lord your God, not the Lord my God. <laughs> the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated? Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Well, then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep, oxen, the choicest of things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So he's kind of double-talking there. And Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and, sacrificing, and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? If you need that in plain English, does God really want sacrifice, or would he rather you just obey what he told you to do? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you as being king. So I think it all started with, this is just my perception, I think it all started with fear with Saul, but that fear was there, he didn't master it, and it turned into sin. And it turned into him losing, uh, taking control of his life and, his, and what he thought was his kingdom. 
and it led to his destruction. Now my issues. Addictions come in many forms. They are not just... Uh, when, when someone says addiction, okay, they think... Uh, you might think cigarettes, you might think alcohol, you might think drugs, okay? Addictions come in many forms. My addiction is television. <laughs> I got an amen out there. <laughs> okay? I could sit in a hotel room and flip through channels so fast till 2 and 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning and not care. And you laugh. And you, and you laugh. But when I was there, that means that I only got two hours of sleep before I was supposed to do my business the next day on my job. Okay? And I, can't, and I couldn't control it. I didn't even have to watch a complete television show. All right? There's nothing on, but I'm hoping with 125 channels <laughs> that eventually I'll flip and roll over on something that I can watch for five minutes. And when the commercial comes on, I'm flipping again. And this will go on for hours, and I, I cannot stop. I cannot do it. So this is what I had to do. I had to give God control of that thing. Um, my wife didn't, I mean, she was glad I, I relinquished control of that to, to, to God, but it also affects my family. Uh, we don't have television. We have a TV. All right? But I don't subscribe to any DirecTV, um, Comcast, anything. I couldn't even do Sky Angel. Because, and Sky Angel's a Christian a big Christian satellite up there in the sky, I guess. <laughs> I can't even do that because even though the content was okay, the pattern was the same. Okay? And it wasn't the content in there that was the problem. It was that I wanted control and I wasn't going to relinquish that control to God so that he could do the things in my life that he wants me to do. Don't you think that sitting in front of the television for eight hours of doing nothing kind of affects the plans God may have for you? <laughs> but when you're addicted to something, you don't see it that way. You're in it for whatever pleasure that gives you for that moment. And when that moment is gone, you're looking for the pleasure for that next moment. And for the next moment until that consumes your mind. And when that consumes your mind, you have no thoughts of God at all. You're waiting for the next time, uh, get done with work, run back to the... Uh, I had to watch at the hotel rooms because I didn't have television at my house. <laughs> you know? And I, I, I got to do, do other things. I got to pray. I got to give this to God all, all the time. Because it's not something that I can just... If it were up to me, I'd have 400 television stations... At whatever cost. If God truly has control in that area, then I should be able to say, Yes, Lord, your will be done. 
Because I'm not saying that having, I, I can't put my conviction on you. Okay, this is a problem that I have. I'm not telling you that you can't have television and you've got to cut off your Comcast or your DirecTV or whatever it is. That's my thing. All right? But whatever that, we all have things in our life that is controlling us. Can you say in every area of your life, God, yes, your will be done. If you can't say that, you have control. A dead giveaway that you're trying to keep control of something is you try to justify it or make excuses for it. If you say that, that's what, that's what gets me. When it comes to, like, the gadgets and the I-whatever and, you know, if I have to sit there and go, and I've done this, I really need an eye touch. I don't really need one, but I want one. But if I had one, there are apps that will help me be more productive in my everyday life. And no, I can't really afford this at this time in my life. I am going to be sure that I'm going to find an app that's going to make me money in the next three months that'll justify the cost of that eye touch. Does that sound crazy? I do that very well. I do that very well. <laughs> Look at these areas in your life and find out if you're making excuses to justify them. Because then I would say that would be a red flag for you to go back and look and say, oh, can I really say, God, be glorified in this area? God, your will be done. Or am I trying to make, yeah, I, I, could, I could justify that. I can justify that right there. Again, I'm not trying to say that these things are, it's not the things that are evil. It's what you're doing with them, how you are accruing them, how you're using them, what you're doing, how they affect your life and your relationship with God. First point was Jesus wants it all. Second, begin to identify those areas of your life that you still have control. If God has control, everything is already justified. You don't have to justify it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We sang a song at worship during the uh, during the time of worship that we had Potter's hand I'm going to also ask the prayer team to come forward let's have everybody stand we're going to sing the song Potter's hand because what we're telling God in this song is God make me Mold me, form me into your image. I give my life to your hand. When you give your life to someone or something, you're relinquishing control of it. In this song, we're talking about relinquishing control of every aspect of our life, no matter what it is, whether it's a relationship, whether it's your job, whether it's your stuff, whether it's your addictions, 
And you're giving that control over to God. I, I want uh, two more people up here for prayer. Asher. Or could I ask um, the grievers? Would you mind coming up and being available for prayer? I don't mean to impose on you guys. But I'm going to do it. I appreciate it. We're going to sing this song. We're going to sing it twice. While we're singing this song, I want you to really take a look at your life and the areas which you have control. And I want you to be able to use the people that we have up here on the prayer team to verbally communicate those things. I mean, we can identify them and keep them in our head. But if we really want to give them over to God, we have to kind of confess some of these things. And these people aren't going to blab what you got. That's not the point. The point is to be able to confess, give up control, get prayer, and help for these areas. Because I'm just as bad, if not worse, than anybody else in this room. So we're going to start singing this. Have a a mindset and an attitude of prayer. And as they're singing, please make your way forward and pray with those up here.